You are listening to a sermon from Village Baptist Church in Petaluma. For more sermons like this one, please visit our website at villagebaptisthome.org. Our mission is to win people to Christ and develop them into active disciples. We pray this sermon is a blessing to you. Now let's hear today's message. Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to be with you this morning, even if it is virtually. I have to say that I miss seeing your faces, and if, I know that if you were here with me in person, you would be ready for the word just as much as I am. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed how much we measure things nowadays? It seems like we are measuring everything. We measure how long something is, how high it is, how wide it is. We measure how heavy things are. I mean, if you're trying to lose weight, you even measure the amount of food you take in trying to control your portions. I can't tell you how many measuring cups and measuring spoons I have in my home, but it seems like I'm always trying to measure something. We even measure our children's height. In my home, there is a door frame, and in the door frame, there's a masking tape. And over the years, there are markings that show the measuring of our children's height. Even my son um, oftentimes will measure his height and compare it to one of his best friends. You see, they're 17 years old, and actually today is Caleb's birthday, so happy birthday, Caleb. But the both of them are 17 years old, and they're two weeks apart. And over the years, they often will measure themselves and pull out the measuring tape just to see who's taller than the other. I tell you, we, we measure everything. Even at a basketball game, we will measure the noise of the fans. And there's a decimal meter. And I had no idea, but there is even a Guinness World Record for the stadium noise. The, the, depending on the, the loudness of the noise of the fans, they can measure and determine which stadium is the loudest. But I wonder if we had a similar device to measure the amount of fear we are feeling during these crazy times. What would the rating or what would the measurement be and the level be of our fears? You see, fear is at an all-time high in America and even around the world. We fear contracting the coronavirus. We fear our children um, get, going to school and starting distance learning this fall and worried about the impact that it will have on their education. Some of us who have seniors are worried and fearful that our, our seniors may not get scholarships because they're not able to play sports. Even teachers are fearful of going back into the classroom. We're fearful of losing jobs and losing our homes. We're fearful of traveling. I mean, no one is even flying right now. And we're even fearful of spending time with our families because of this pandemic. And then with an election right around the corner, we're fearful of losing the election depending on which side of the aisle we are for. And now, with Black Lives Matters, we are fearful of having tough conversations with our friends about racism. You see, if I had some type of meter or way to measure fear, I'm sure that it would be off the charts right now. 
the level of uncertainty around the virus has become overwhelming to some, and some are even at the brink of breaking. Now, there be, may be a few of you who, over the last five months, you're not agitated by uh, this virus, and, and if, you, if that's you, God bless you. But for many of us whose hearts are troubled, uh, we are overwhelmed with fear, I want to encourage you today because God has a word for you. And the word is, Jesus is the answer to our fears. Jesus is the answer to our fears. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and I'll read for you, starting with the first verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know uh, where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, even in the very first verse, we see that the disciples' hearts are troubled. They too are managing their fears because of the news that they have received. Now, when you look at the idea in this, this context in the Greek of being having a troubled heart, we see that it really means that the heart is agitated. Uh, there is an inner perplexity and a stirring up in the inside. The, the heart is upset or even terrified. We see the same sense of a troubled heart with the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water. And they were terrified because they thought that he was a ghost. And in this passage, in John 14, again, we see that the disciples' hearts are troubled. But this time, their hearts are troubled because they've received some disturbing news that Jesus is predicting his death. He's just told them that he's about to die. And in chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Can you imagine if your parent just sat down and talked with you and they told you that they were about to die? How troubling that would be to you? Or if a parent told you that they were about to go away for a long time and you can't go with them right now. I can only imagine if I received that type of news how troubling my heart would be. And as it was with the disciples, their hearts were troubled. And when your heart is troubled, it's only natural that you would ask questions. When we go to the doctor and we receive a diagnosis of something that has been ailing us, we begin to ask questions. We even go home and jump on the internet and we try to gather more information and research 
so that we can understand just what is going on. And so even in this situation, as Jesus gives them the news that he's about to leave, the disciples have questions. And there's one disciple in particular that has a question, uh, a follow-up question, if you will. I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom and uh, the teacher gives all the instructions, walk you through the instructions step by step, but then there's always that one that has the, the follow-up question, and they're raising their hands, and everybody's looking like, oh, my goodness, not that person again. And some of us, we might think of Thomas in that way because Thomas, you might know him by his nickname, Doubting Thomas, because he's the one disciple who did not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. He was the one disciple who needed tangible proof and said that if I cannot put my fingers in the holes where the nails were, if I can't put my hand through his side, then I won't believe. And maybe you're like that today. Maybe you're like that, Thomas, and um, you've earned some kind of nickname through school. But I want to encourage you that I, because of Thomas's follow-up question, his clarifying question, we've got an answer from God like no other. And so even when I look at this and I read this, I was like, you know, Thomas, you, you're getting a bad rap. I appreciate the follow-up question that you gave. Despite that Jesus gave them instructions of where he was going, that he was going to his father's house to prepare a place for them. But Thomas was like, you know, how do I know? I just, we don't know the way, Lord. And he asked the follow-up question. Now, with this follow-up question, the, what I love about it is that it gives us this riveting statement from Jesus that we have never heard before. In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. In other words, Jesus uses the phrase I am seven times in the Gospel of John. He says that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. And then here in John 14, we see him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Out of all the seven I am statements, this is the one that is most controversial, I believe because it excludes all other ways to God. Many people have problems with this particular passage because it says that if you want to get to God, Jesus is the only way. Now, here's one thing. Jesus gives us the answers to our fears, but for some reason, we reject his answers or We've forgotten that he is the answer. You see, when we reject Jesus as the only way, we become an enemy to God. I like to say that you have become a fearful foe. You're no longer willing to trust that God is the only way. And now that you are an enemy, you are considered a fearful foe. And even Christians who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior they sometimes will forget. It's amazing how amnesia kind of comes in and out of a Christian walk, but they become these what I call frantic followers. 
forgetting that Jesus himself is the answer that they need. Even during these pandemic time or this pandemic time, we are surrounded by fear and we panic. But I want to encourage you all today that there is a way and there is an answer for our fears. But there are three reasons I want to leave with you that says that these three reasons are the reasons we might remain in a state of fear. Now, number one, the first reason some of us might just remain in a state of fear is that we are directionally challenged. To be directionally challenged means that you are unclear of how you're going to get to your destination or even how you're going to navigate through the obstacles of life. Have you ever been driving in the car and you're following the directions, but somehow you get lost? Maybe even you are using Google Maps. And if you're like me, I'm using Google Maps, Waze, and every other Apple device that I can get my hands on to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. But there are times when we follow Google Map, and even following the Google Map, we will find ourselves lost. And why is that? It's because Google doesn't know everything. Now, I know that Google has some 50 satellites in the space, but I want to tell you that Google is not God. God is greater than Google. Why? Because he is the very one who made the space. And even being directionally challenged, we become spiritually lost. And we're unwilling to accept that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Now, there are some people who may be directionally challenged, and it's because that they are lost intellectually, philosophically, and existentially in their minds. You see, people will remain in a state of fear because they won't accept that the truth that Jesus is the only way. They would rather spend their time talking in circles, lost up in the debate of Descartes' theory, I think, therefore I am. And even the frantic follower, the one who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, oftentimes will find themselves in a state of, uh, of fear and being directionally challenged. But I want to encourage even the frantic follower that you must remember that Jesus is the only way, that reading your Bible daily is the only way. Being in fellowship, even in during this pandemic, finding a way to be in fellowship with other believers is the only way. And then praying and crying out to God daily when you feel yourself in despair and overwhelmed with fear, remember, you frantic followers, that Jesus is the only way. Now, the second reason we might remain in this state of fear is that we are factually challenged. See, we tend to believe everything we hear without verifying the facts, or we get the facts and we just choose to deny them. See, when I was in college working on my degree in journalism, I was trained that you could not put anything in print unless you verified the facts and you validated your sources. But today, everybody is a journalist. 
because we find ourselves posting things on Facebook, on Twitter, and, and making TikTok videos, and yet we have failed to validate the facts. I can't tell you how many times I've seen something where information has been taken out of context or it's just clearly not true. Nowadays, when my children come to me with their social media and they show me something that they have seen and they're excited to share it with me, I immediately ask them, did you validate the source? How do you know it's true? We must do the same thing when it comes to how we receive information. But the problem is, is that we are factually challenged. Case in point is the debate over wearing a mask. Now, there has been tons of research out there that tell us that wearing a mask will slow the virus down. It, it, it may even save your life. But yet, we don't want to accept the facts. We take the facts and we throw them out the window. Because, why? Because we want to have our own opinion. We want to be free to choose it. And it's OK for you to, to choose to not wear a mask, but I feel that you choose not to wear it around me. Don't be around me if you're not going to wear a mask. And we do the same thing when it comes to the Bible. We refuse to accept the facts of the Bible. Now, never mind that there is some 6,000 ancient um, artifacts and manuscripts about the writings of the Bible. Never mind that it is the inspired word of God. Never mind that it is the number one bestseller still today. We don't want to accept the facts of the Bible. I asked my daughter, I said, you know, why do you accept the Bible as truth? Why, why do you believe in the Bible? Now, my daughter is 14 years old, and she said, well, Mom, there are these synoptic gospels, and they're written by three men at three different times but yet they tell the same story. Now, if I can believe the history books that they teach us and use in school, but yet I'm not able to talk to those men who those stories are about to verify their facts, but yet I'm told to believe those history books or the stories in those history books, then why wouldn't I believe in the Bible? Now that is from a 14-year-old. So if you don't get anything from my sermon today, I want to encourage you, wear a mask, because it just might save your life. But more importantly, trust in the word of God, because it will give you eternal life. Then the third reason we might remain in this state of fear and panic is because we are relationally challenged. We are relationally challenged. Charles Spurgeon wrote, when Adam touched the forbidden fruit, the way from God to man became blocked. The relationship was damaged. You see, in that moment, sin entered the world and it destroyed our relationship with God. So therefore, we were all relationally challenged at one time. But imagine if you were in a race, and in that race, as you stepped up to the starting point, it was the sinful nature is your starting point. And as you looked ahead at the end of the race, there was God the Father 
And now the only way, then your goal is to get to God the Father, but the only way that you can get to the end, God the Father, is that you must accept that Jesus is the way. And so you begin this race and you, you accept that Jesus is the way and Jesus takes your hand and he begins to lead you to the cross. And as he leads you to the cross, then you begin to accept that he is the truth and that what he did on the cross, it is truth. I mean, I tell you, if you just ask Thomas, Thomas himself, although he doubted, he provided proof or Jesus provided him proof that he was the way. And as you continue in this race and you accept that Jesus is the truth, he'll continue to hold your hand and he will guide you and navigate you through the obstacles of life such that when things come up, there is no need to fear because God is still with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then as you continue on in this race of life, and you continue to hold on to the truth that Jesus is the only way, then you will understand that he is the life. Why? Because the life will restore the relationship. It will restore your fellowship back to God. He will help you get to the end if you trust in Jesus. The very first verse said, don't let your hearts be troubled. So I want to encourage you today, if you are a follower of Christ, and maybe you are struggling with the fears of this world and they're causing you some anxiety, I encourage you not to be that frantic follower, that to remember that you must spend time in word and prayer and Jesus will calm your fears. And then if you are one who's still a skeptic and you are doubting that Jesus is the only way, I encourage you, do not be a fearful foe forever. But if you're struggling and you're trying to make sense of things, I encourage you to accept Jesus into your life today. When you do that, he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let me read for you John 14, verse 27. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would love to hear more sermons like this one or find out more about our church, please visit us at villagebaptisthome.org. Until next time, take care and God bless.